Welcome to the Foundry Church. We're so glad that you're tuning into this message. We post these audio versions every week so you can keep up with them by subscribing to this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about us as a church, you can visit our website at foundrychurch.net or like us on Facebook by searching our name. That said, here's this week's message in our series called Believe. I want to start out this morning by telling you a story of something I avoid because of a very traumatic experience um, growing up in my childhood. Um, growing up um, in the wilderness of West Drenth, uh, if you're familiar with West, or Drenth, you know there should be a difference between West and East. Um, in the wilderness of West Drenth, uh, I was growing up about at the age of 10 years old, we would have a garden about 100 yards from our house. Um, and me and my sister would spend a lot of time on that garden. We'd do potatoes and carrots and corn. And it was our job to weed the garden. It was our job to water the garden. So one summer day, I was walking out with some pails of water. Um, don't picture five-gallon buckets because I could never lift those. So I was walking with probably about two-gallon buckets of water. And I walked out to the garden, and I noticed there was something rustling in there. And as I get closer, there's, there's this big white monster eating my carrots. And I'm like, I have worked endless hours on these carrots. I have weeded like, I imagined I weeded like crazy. It was probably very overgrown. But I had weeded like crazy. I had watered all summer. I was not going to let this, this beast eat my carrots. So I get up there, and as I get closer, I realize this big white beast has feathers everywhere, and it's got long black legs and huge web feet. I, I had never seen anything like this. I was terrified. So what I did is I took one of my buckets of water and doused it with two gallons of water, and it, it did not like that, okay? So it started walking towards me. It started hissing, and I looked down. I'm like, the, the only thing in between me and this is an empty bucket now at this point. So I threw the bucket at it as hard as I could, and it, it didn't like that either. So it started walking towards me quicker and got bigger and puffier and more angry. And at that point, I decided this, this is how I go out. This is how I die, right? So I, I realize this. I start crying, and I run to the house as quick as I can. And I, I'm weeping because I realize my end is, is near. And I get into the house, and my mom comes up, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I'm like, there is a swan in the garden. And I, w- I was super upset, and she's like, we, we've never seen a swan on our property before, let alone one that's eating carrots. That doesn't make much sense. So I walk her out to the garden, all upset, tears still streaming down my face. No, you don't understand. It's this big swan. It was eating. It was mad. And I walk out, and of course, the swan is no longer anywhere in sight. She looks at me as though I had been making the whole thing up. And to this day, I don't think she actually thinks there was ever a swan in the garden. But uh, yet, I still, to this day, avoid swans. I don't like swans. I don't want anything to do with them. Even the swan rides at Michigan Adventure are like, nope, not even going to deal with it. You guys can have your fun. I will watch from a distance where it's safe. Right? There are things that we tend to avoid, right? especially when it comes to Scripture. Right? Where we spent some time over the last few weeks talking about prophecies, and uh, some of the prophecies are things that we tend to avoid because there's imagery in some of those that we just don't quite know what to do with, right? There's the passage in Ezekiel of the prophecy of the dry bones of Ezekiel speaking to these bones and the bones kind of rising up and rattling together and tendons appearing on the bones. And we tend to avoid passages like that because we just don't know what to do with it. 
See, we also tend to avoid Revelation, really almost the whole book of Revelation, because there's imagery in the end, heavenly imagery, that we just have a hard time comprehending. But just because we want to avoid it, just because we want to avoid specific parts in Scripture, doesn't mean that those parts aren't true and that we shouldn't believe it. So I am so excited for this next series. We're going to be jumping into Revelation, and we're not going to avoid it. We're going to dive into the seven different churches um, that John writes to and spend a good time in these seven churches and the prophecies that Jesus spoke to them. But first, what is Revelation? Right? What is Revelation? The Greek kind of translation of Revelation is apocalypsis which you can hear pretty quickly, apocalypse come out of that word, right? Which is fascinating that we would avoid revelation because our culture, and I feel like our, our world is so enamored with end time stuff, right? Apocalypse stuff. Um, you have shows about it, doomsday preppers, where guys will buy giant storage units and put them 20 feet underground and fill them with canned goods and all these things to stay alive for years just in case the end times happen, just in case there's an apocalypse, right? There's shows about the zombie apocalypse and what happens, and there's seasons upon seasons of how the zombie apocalypse is going to work. And, but Truthfully, regardless if you believe in zombies or not, you all have a backup plan just in case that were to happen of going to a friend's house who has way too much ammunition and you're like, I'll be safe there, right? You all, just me? Oh, maybe it's just me. (laughs) We think about it, right? We think about the end times. We read books on the end times. We watch movies and shows about the end times. And yet, when there is a book that is written on the revelation of Jesus Christ... We completely avoid it, or I tend to. See, if you're reading through the Bible, it's so easy to just stop right before Revelation and go back to the Gospels about the words that Jesus spoke because those are, those are more satisfying, right? We don't necessarily know what to do with the words in Revelation, even though those words are from Jesus Christ too. Yet we tend to avoid those things. See, why do we avoid it? See, what is the reason behind that? Maybe we're frightened by some of the imagery. Maybe we're worried about understanding some of it. A few weeks ago, Eric shared the example of George Washington, right? What would it look like if we brought George Washington into this day and age and brought him to an IMAX theater and had him watch Star Wars, right? He would be just amazed and he probably couldn't even put into words what he was seeing, right? But if you didn't stop there and had him go back to his troops and tell those troops that, This is what I saw. He wouldn't be able to do that. And the troops would have no idea what he's talking about. It wouldn't make any sense. It's, he is describing something that they can't even comprehend. See, I was at a Christmas party with a few friends this year, and we were playing charades. Uh, and it was, a, it was a ton of fun. We were having a blast. And one of my friends comes up and picks, uh, it was a Christmas charade, so think Christmas stuff. So he picks the paper out and reads it, and we start the timer. Okay, so play the game with me a minute. So this is what happens. My friend goes like this. What do you guess? Reindeer, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Elk. We start, nope, nope, st- still this. Is very committed to this. Right? What? <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. 
right? And the time went, time went through, the time went over, and we stopped the clock. Everyone was frustrated, like, ah, he was frustrated. Why didn't you guys guess it? And we're like, what was it? He's like, it was an elf. And we're like, what elf goes like this? He's like, no, it was like this. And we're like, oh, we had just, he had just put his hands up a little bit too high that we didn't see it. But what's fascinating is that he knew exactly what he was looking at. He could picture it, and he knew what he was trying to describe, and yet everyone else was lost. But he knew the image he was saying, right? In the same way, John has some imagery that he is, is going to see, that he's going to try put on paper, that is going to be hard for us to see, right? It's going to be heavenly imagery that's going to be tough for us to comprehend because we don't know what John has seen, right? But just because some of this stuff in Revelation is confusing or hard to understand does not mean that we should avoid it. John says in his prologue, Blessed are the people who hear it and put it on their hearts. So, let's not avoid it. So, let's jump right into Revelation 1. Uh, We're going to start out 1 through 3 to get going here. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So there's a few different things going on in the book of Revelation, um, and it's kind of described right in this prologue. These words in Revelation, there's three different kinds okay, of different words. These words in Revelation are visions that John saw. So these heavenly visions that John saw, and he was trying to get get that across to different people. The word of God, referring to the prophecies that are written in the book of Revelation, and words of Jesus. Okay, so there's actual words of Jesus in this book, very similar to if you have a red-letter Bible, and in the New Testament you see read exactly what Jesus said and what he didn't say. Right, it's, it's red letter, Jesus wrote part of, it spoke into part of this book. See, it says, blessed is he who reads and keeps those things which are written in it. So blessed are the people who read this. See, fortunately, John didn't say that we have to understand all of these things. Right? If that were the case, it would be extremely difficult. There'd be hours and hours, and even at the end of those hours, it'd be like, I still don't know if I get what they were trying to get across. But we can be blessed by reading and hearing some of these words. We can believe even if we don't understand it. There's a really good quote from a guy, um, Anselm of Canterbury, he says this, and I think it's great. I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order that I may understand. For of this I feel sure. If I did not believe, I would not understand. See, it starts with believing. Don't start with trying to understand this whole book and piece this whole book apart and try to get, okay, this is exactly what they mean by that because you won't believe in that aspect. Start by believing and allow God to work through this book in a way you can't imagine. There's another thing in in these first three verses that in the beginning it says to show his servants which must soon take place. And then in the very last part it says because the time is near. And if you're anything like me, that may put up some red flags. 
right? This book was written like 2,000 years ago. This was written shortly after Jesus' ministry when the disciples were starting to move around. All the disciples had died at this point, but John was the only disciple left. So this book was shortly after Jesus had done his ministry. So 2,000 years ago. And when you read words like shortly to take place and the time is near, like, it, is this even true if that's the case, right? Shouldn't this have already passed? Aren't, shouldn't that be done already if it's shortly to take place? See, looking a little bit closer in it, shortly in the ancient Greek actually means quickly or suddenly coming to pass. See, it's not about when it's going to happen, but how it's going to happen. It's going to come suddenly. When it comes, it's going to happen suddenly. Have you ever walked up behind someone who doesn't know you're there and you're like, oh, this is the moment, right? You walk up behind them and they have no idea you're coming and you grab their shoulders and yell at them and they just let out a shriek like they don't typically ever do, like a noise that you wouldn't expect coming out of this person, right? It's that event that suddenly this is going to happen, right? It's not a matter of when, it's a matter of how. This event is going to happen suddenly, but Before we talk about how it's going to happen, let's talk for a few minutes about who's writing it and why he's writing it. So let's continue in verse 9. We're going to skip ahead a few verses and we'll come back to those other ones in just a sec. So verse 9 says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So we have John, who is the writer of this book, right? And John is the last remaining disciple. And up to this point, the disciples had started spreading the good news about Jesus Christ to the area countries and nations, and it was just spreading farther and farther. And Rome was not agreeing with some of these things. So they had killed off all of the disciples except for John. So John's the last one left. So they send him to the island of Patmos. And if you know anything about Patmos, it is, it is an island. It's pretty much a prison island. It's a prison camp. It's very similar to our day and age of Alcatraz. It's an island where it's far enough away from any other landmass that they couldn't swim there and make it alive, right? So they didn't need to have any walls. It was just an island where they could kind of send people and not worry about them because they'd just be there and they wouldn't have to go anywhere else, right? This is the place that John is writing to. See, and Let's jump back a few more verses and come back to four. So it says this, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, which we just read those, grace and peace to you from who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and his Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And I want you to listen close to this imagery. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. 
I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. See, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I picture the end times, I picture something similar to like when the shepherds, uh, when the angels came down to the shepherds, right? The heavens opened and there's a loud trumpet that sounds and the angels are coming out of the heavenly realm singing, right? They're singing, they're praising glory to God and all of these people are, are looking up and it's beautiful, right? And yet when we read this, when we read all peoples on earth will mourn because of him, that doesn't paint that same picture, does it? The picture I had in my head is very different from this picture. Why are people mourning? See, I understand why some people might mourn, right? There's going to be some people that mourn because of it, but all peoples? What? Why are all people going to mourn? See, I have some thoughts, and I think there's a few possible answers to this. So there's going to be one group of people who mourn because they rejected Jesus, right? And they're going to realize what they've missed when he comes back. Right? These are people who say that they don't need forgiveness. They're good living life on their own. They like making their own decisions and they are not going to be held accountable to anything because they are the master of their own. Right? They're the people that are saying, I don't need a savior because I'm the savior of my world. I get to make decisions about what I'm doing and I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it. See, these people are going to mourn because they're going to realize the Jesus they rejected is the Savior of all. See, I think there's a second group of people, and they are going to be realizing the painful realization of what Jesus has done for them. See, most of us will fit in that category. It's the painful realization of what Jesus has done for them. See, it's not that we don't know the things that Jesus has done for us. We know that he died on, this, died on the cross for our sins. We know that our sins were bore on him and he needed to die a painful death because of those things. We know the temptations that he went through. We know the pain leading up to the cross and the beatings and the mockery and the lashings. We, we know all of those things, but do we fully realize what that pain did to him? See, I think of a moment when I got married. Right, I've got Jalen's friends on the right of me and all my friends on the left, and I'm standing next to the pastor, and I know the love that Jalen has for me. Like, I never doubted her walking down the stage, not like the runaway bride, like, I hope she's there yet, right? Uh, but there's a moment where her dad and Jalen turn the corner and start walking down the aisle, and I just lost it. And it wasn't one of those in like the Hallmark movies where the groom sheds a single tear. It's like, oh, that is so cute. It's like, get this man a Kleenex. He's falling apart up there. So she's walking down the aisle. And it, it was in that moment that I realized that our lives were going to be changed forever because of this. I never doubted the love that she had for me. Right? I never doubted how beautiful she was. It wasn't that either. I knew all of those things, but it was in that moment where I fully realized that our lives were going to be together forever. Right? I think in the same way when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a full realization of who he is and what he's done for us. Right? We're going to see the nail-pierced hands and think, God, I did that to him. Right, there's going to be a very real realization of the things that Jesus has done for us. 
See, it'll fulfill the scene in Zechariah 12.10. So this is before Jesus was even born, one of the prophecies from Zechariah. It says this, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. See, this is the group of people who fully realize what Jesus has done for us. See, I think there's a third group too. And I think it's very similar to the second group. Many of us will fit in this category as well, I think. See, this group, when that moment comes, are going to fully realize not only who Jesus was, but the chances that they have in their life currently. See, I think after that moment passes, they're going to look around and think about their coworkers and their friends and their families. Right? They're going to think about the coworker at work who they miss the opportunity to have a conversation with them about Jesus. Right? That chance is now gone. Right? In the same way it's friends. We all have friends who are living a path that are not righteous to God, and we don't want to make our relationship weird, so we don't have a hard conversation with our friend about the way they're going. And we're going to realize in that moment that that chance is gone. In the same way, and sometimes even harder, our family. Right? When we know someone is straying from Jesus Christ and, and the faith, we, we don't want to make family gatherings awkward. We, we don't want to, for them to hate us and be the ones that, they're always talking about Jesus. Right? And yet, there's going to be mo- that moment when Jesus comes back that there's going to be mourning because those chances we no longer have. All those chances are gone. Right? Do you see why it sometimes almost feels like Eric is yelling at us from the stage about bringing the gospel into the community? Right? Do you ever sense that why we talk so urgently about bringing the gospel outside of this room? Right? Because this is a safe place. We can talk about the gospel freely in here, but all of a sudden when we go out in the community, it's like, well, they're not talking about it as much as they are in here, and I don't want to be the one to bring it up. See, do you see why there is sometimes so much energy in the room? Because I know a lot of you know that there is a lot of people that realize that the time is short for the lost. Time is short for the lost. We truly don't have any idea when Jesus is going to be coming back. We have no idea when God the Father is going to say, it's time. It's time. Go get your bride. We don't know when that's going to happen. See, but there is hope. But not just in the end times, but in the now. There is still time. We are still here on earth. There are still chances. And if you believe anything about what I said today, you cannot avoid what the scriptures say in this. And it may feel like a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts, but hear me loud and clear when I say, do not avoid the scriptures. Do not avoid revelation. Don't be afraid of the imagery in it or the words that are spoken into it. But also, Don't jump into it and don't jump into the imagery expecting to be entertained like some of the shows, the zombie apocalypse shows, doomsday preppers. This is not something to be entertained by because these are the words of God. The Bible is a whole story, right? From Genesis all the way through Revelation, it is a story. 
And we see through that story that even in Revelation, Revelation is the conclusion in that story, but the theme that is woven throughout Scripture is there, even in Revelation. Have any of you wondered what these audio blips are in the back? Right, this is the theme that is woven throughout all of Scripture from God. I love you. And that doesn't stop before Revelation. That continues in Revelation. The end times is because he loves us and wants to be reunited with us yet. Revelation is the finale when we get to finally realize what Jesus Christ has done for us. And yes, there will be mourning, but there will be a celebration after that. So you're going to see more prophecies laid out from Jesus through John over the next seven weeks in seven different churches. See, and these are very real places. We talked about Ephesus and Philadelphia. We'll, we'll go into all of these different places, and they're real places. Outside of just the Bible, these places existed in historical context. There's historical books about all of these places and the things they went through, um, and we're going to be looking at all of those things. And each of these seven churches got a letter from John with a prophecy from Jesus, and they had the choice to choose what they were going to do with it. See, these letters are 2,000 years old, and yet I know all of these churches and the words that were spoken to them can directly speak to us as well. So the question I have for you today is this. Do you believe? Do you believe these words? The I love you is woven through all scripture. If you do, be here. Right? We're going to spend so much time. I'm so excited for this series because we're not going to avoid the hard conversations. We're going to live into how Jesus and how God wrote this book of Revelation for us. See, listen to the seven churches. But not only that, don't leave it just in this room. See, that's the worst thing we can do. We can, ju we can just talk about it and it stays here and then we never speak another word about it out there. We need to not only talk about it in here, but we need to go live those things out with our friends, with our coworkers, and with our family. See, if you believe these things, be here. Spend the time in the Word looking at devotions and getting into Revelation like maybe you never have in the past. I'm calling you to believe. And just like all of those churches had a way that they could respond, they had a choice if they wanted to respond, the choice is also yours. Are you going to believe? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. And I thank you for the way you spoke through John um, and through Jesus and the words that were put together in Revelation. And I know that some of the images that may come through are scary and they're frightening and we tend to avoid these things. But I ask over the next eight weeks that you just help us realize how you are still living and breathing in those very words. And that we get the choice to believe or to not believe. And I ask that you give us faith in those hard moments when we step out of this church and we have conversations with the people around us. I, give, I ask that you give us faith to do those moments. Be with us in everything we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't hear today that just because we're in the end times now that it means that there's no chances. Right? Don't keep everything we learn in this building in here. 
right? There are still chances. There is still hope for people out there, but it takes us bringing it out of this building and talking to them about it. It's talking to your friends, your family, and your coworkers and the people around you about why you are different than the people around you. It's why you love Jesus Christ. Have those conversations. Don't be afraid because we don't know how many more chances we'll have. Right? The chance is now. Do you believe that? Take those chances. And with that, as you go out into the world, go with this final blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're looking for a way to prepare yourself for next week's, you can visit us at foundrychurch.net and find our weekly devotions by scrolling down on the homepage. Beating God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. We hope you felt challenged and encouraged by this and hope that you'll tune in again next week.